my notion of creativity has gone from thinking about pictures or emotive engaging solutions to the way people live and work and how you can actually impact people's lives by the experiences that they have and the way that they interact with each other. Where do great ideas come from? How can I hack my brain to get into creative flow? How do I flick the switch and get ideas on demand? How do I build a workplace culture that oozes creativity? I'm your host, Nicole Velik, head ideas girl at innovation and creativity company, The Ideas Bodega. We're going to dive into all facets of creativity. Welcome to Creativity Unpacked. Today, I'm interviewing my friend, the incredible Andrew Hoyne. Not only is he one of the most inspiring people I know, but also one of the happiest. Andrew always has a huge, infectious smile on his face. He's the founder of Hoyne, a placemaking and design company that have offices all around Australia. They work with major international asset owners, developers and local councils to create recognisable landmarks and destinations from residential towers and master planned communities to commercial developments, new mixed use precincts and even cities. Andrew has had a huge career thus far and has so much to say about creativity and especially the brilliant things that he does at Hoyne to keep his team creative, inspired and hungry. I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did. Hi, Andy. How are you? Hey, good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on the podcast. I'm really excited to speak with you today. Well, I think we're probably going to cover a few topics and um, hopefully I'll learn a bit more about you and you about me. I hope so. So I'm going to start by asking you if you could do anything creative or express yourself creatively in any way where no one is watching, you had the freedom to be really crap at it and it wasn't to make any money, what would you do? Build a city. Ooh, really? Yeah. Uh, I've had this um, crazy dream that I – and, in fact, it's beyond a crazy dream because I actually told my wife. I think I told her a few years ago. I said to her, I know this is going to sound weird, but what if we moved to a small country town? And, you know, we've got a few bucks in our pocket. And while – City money is different to country money. You could literally go to a small town and buy half the main street. Imagine if we went and bought the pub, a couple of the shops, you know, and actually got together with the other traders and tried to figure out what we could do to uncover the inherent truth of this place. The the ability to storytell and engage people to look at this little town that might have been completely forgotten and put it back on the map and, like, work with local people who really lived it and understood it, maybe had been there for generations, and actually do something that wasn't just a replica of other small country towns, but but create a blueprint for what other places of a similar size could be. Forgotten places that could become destinations. My wife said, well, okay, what's stopping us? And I said, you're crazy, can't do that. (laughs) I've got a business in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane and I've got clients everywhere. And she said, well, it sounds like you've given this some thought. So why wouldn't you do it? And, you know, maybe in the future, um, you know, it's kind of part this notion that I've got three small young children that I like the idea of them not just seeing, you know, the cool side of Surrey Hills and getting on planes to go overseas, but actually being part of something smaller, but somehow more, more meaningful. 
Wow. So there's a bunch of different reasons why I think it could be an interesting thing to do as a as a life and as a project. Because for me, I wouldn't just be going there to necessarily make any money. I would just want to go to see if I could make change. I think that's an incredible idea. I'm so inspired by that. And the funny thing is the next question was going to be, if you had a parallel life and you could be or create anything, what would you do? <laughs> and I feel like you just read my mind. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's evolved with me in my career is that when I started, I was all about graphics and you know design and creativity. And those things haven't been lost. But I think the, the hierarchy of important things that are meaningful to me have changed dramatically. Um, and I really think that doing things that change the way people behave in a, in a positive sense um, and using creativity to do that and doing things that are meaningful to people and, and engaging them and, you know, entertaining them. So the idea of making films, of building structures, of executing a whole host of different creative endeavours for me are all equally interesting. Um, and how do you choose one? Well, why should you have to choose one? Why can't we just do them all? Mm, absolutely. When was the first time that you found that um, joy that your creativity could actually change people? Um, I think that the things that we do as children are quite powerful in the way that we reflect on them. You know, as a kid, whether you've drawn something or made something – and the most important person in your world, your parents, um, actually pat you on the back and, you know, really sort of point out how great they think it is. That's something that never leaves you. And I think that those sort of childhood inspirations from the people that mean the most to you carry you through life. And so the same can be said of negative influences. Things that really, when you hear secondhand, you think that's not a big deal. Why would that bother anybody? But for the person who had to experience whatever that was, it's pretty hard to wipe it away. Mm. That's a really nice segue to my next question, actually, because I wanted to ask you about your childhood and your creativity, because it's no accident why we end up being how we are, especially our relationship to our own creativity. So if you think back to the playground, what was your role? Uh, I went to a, a small country school. Uh, it was all pretty friendly. You know, it was all about riding BMXs and climbing the tallest tree. And I don't know, there seemed to me, there was always a kind of pretty good sense of camaraderie. Um, it was all about what you could get away with. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember even as a kid, we would literally sneak my dad's gun out from under his bed, get the bullets, take it down to the river and shoot some rabbits and then take it back and put it back and just pray to God that he wouldn't find it because we would be dead, dead, dead. Um, my dad was a pretty strict guy. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, the notion of doing that and getting busted, <laughs> oh, my God, I wouldn't be here right now. So, yeah, I think it was about a bit of a sense of adventure living in a small country town that had two rivers flowing through it that you weren't allowed to be at home during the day. It was kind of like do not come home until it starts to get dark. Right. Wow, if only kids <laughs> were like that today. Yeah, I mean, having, I've got three small kids and I'm very conscious of ensuring that we do a ton of outdoor activity. We go bike riding, um, skateboarding. Um, we do a lot of rock climbing. Um, we do all sorts of activities and adventure things. And mm. I love that as three small girls, they're as strong or 
as good as any boy three or four years older than them. You know, mm. they're tough. You know, mm. they're beautiful kids, but there's nothing that they can't do uh, mm. within not just their age bracket but beyond. And I'm really proud to see them do that. You know, I, I just love seeing them succeed and achieve and feel good about the things that they're up to. Mm. So it sounds like living in a country town and growing up there was the perfect platform for your creativity to start and, and to bubble. Were there any people who you could point the finger at that were nurturing your creativity? Um, it's interesting because I think that con- there's a lot of really positive attributes about places like country towns. But, you know, in my era, the downside is that if any did anything arty, you're you're a wanker, you know, like it was a bit puffy. Um, you know, real jobs were, you know, mechanics or, you know, in the police or <laughs> bikey gang, I don't know. But, you mm. know, like they were, mm. they were kind of more masculine, aggressive things. Um, or if you were, you know, smart and successful, maybe you worked in a finance organisation. So to do something arty, you know, in my era, I don't think was deemed very cool. So the idea of doing drawing might have seemed nice, but... It was made very clear to me at a young age there was no career in that. So was anyone a bit of a halo in terms of nurturing you creatively or? Um, not, not not so much? No, I think my dad was always good from the point of view that he was focused on hard work and perseverance, which is really a part of who I am and one of the pillars of the way I approach life. Um, you know, my mum was very loving and, and buoyant and fun and, you know, a bit out there. And so, you know, I think I get some good positive uh, attributes of their personality. Mm. Yeah, beautiful. And in um, Julia Cameron's um, book, The Artist's Way, are you are you familiar with that book? No, I haven't read it. Oh, okay. Well, um, it might be one that lands on your desk pretty soon. Um, it's a 12-week course in rediscovering your creativity and it's a brilliant book. It uh, has a bit of a cult following around the world. One of the things that she talks about, she's deemed the term creativity killer. And um, so I'm wondering, can you recall any moment um, in your childhood where there was a creativity killer? Now, normally it's a person in authority. So it could be a teacher, it could be a parent, and it could be one tiny comment that someone said in passing, but in that moment killed off a little bit of your creativity or a bit of your creativity was chipped away. Can you recall anything like that? I remember at high school um, thinking about what I might do, you know, if I was going to go to university and what I would study and looking at um, things like graphic design and architecture. And again, I kind of recall being told, oh, there's not much of a career in that. and It's okay if you don't mind earning that much money. Um, and it just didn't seem like it was taken all that seriously but for me I think the opposite occurred I was like you're an idiot and that's not true and I think you know you can be as good as you want to be at anything if you just focus on it and persevere and work hard and so rather than putting me off I think those kind of things through life have always driven me I think a lot of people have are being told that leave your hobbies to one side and make your career about professional development and financial opportunity. And if you read the books of some really successful people in the world right now, I think many of them, you know, voice that perspective. While it makes sense, and I'm certainly not saying that 
many people shouldn't go down that path because, you know, you can just have your hobby on the side. It could be playing guitar. It could just be chilled out. There's no financial component to it. It's just for joy. And then during, you know, your working hours, you're doing something that ideally you're very good at and you excel at, but you're not necessarily in love with. I get it. But that's just not the path that I've taken. And I've always kind of believed that the things that I'd like to be doing if I wasn't getting paid, I should be doing during the day. And I've just got to find a way to commercialize it, to make a business out of it, and to also learn through the process. You know, I'm not doing the same thing today I was five years ago, let alone 10, 20, or as of January, 29 years. So I've had my own business for almost 29 years. And I feel like I've reinvented myself so many times through that cycle. Mm. And we're going to get into talking about Hoyne and um, this amazing company that you've built. But before we do, I know that you really love cities. So my question is, if we had a really fast plane and we could visit two of your favourite cities today, where would we go? Hard question because there's so many places I love. Um, That's why I chose two and not one. (laughs) Yeah, I'd probably go to Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Um, I just love the activity on the street. I love that it's low rise and dense because I think density is a fantastic thing to create amenity and services and, you know, to bring things together in close proximity. Um, I love the food there. Um, you know, I love the kind of physical nature of it. And I just think that, you know, Spanish people are pretty fun. The other place without even giving it any thought that immediately comes to mind would probably be Nashville. It's just this fantastic city that's, alive and engaging and dynamic and people assume that it's all country and western music but it's actually every kind of music you could possibly imagine you could literally go into one venue and downstairs there might be country and western but out the back there might be heavy metal upstairs there might be hip-hop you know on the rooftop because some venues might have four or five bands in one venue but every single venue has got something going on so it's a very you know alive city and again you know maybe i'm getting onto a theme here but the food's fantastic Mm. you know it's also really walkable you know i just love a city that i don't have to get into a car if i don't want to Mm. i can just go out be entertained eat, drink, walk. Um, maybe I just hope the walking will uh, mitigate the eating and drinking. But, you know, and you, you, I want a place with personalities, mm. with a, a broad spectrum of personalities. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, I need to get to Nashville. I've never been and in my other life I'm a singer-songwriter. I'm not sure you knew that. On the theme of music, <laughs> I did mention I might ask you this. <laughs> Do you have a favourite artist or a favourite song? Well, Johnny Cash is probably my favourite artist and admittedly the Johnny Cash Museum is in Nashville and that just dawned on me then. I do like so many of his songs but it's quite funny because I I joke around with my kids a lot and we sing songs together a lot. I mean, I'm not a good singer, don't get me wrong, but we sing in the car, which we don't use that much. We sing at home, we're always putting music on, we're all singing together. Uh, All my kids play musical instruments, I don't, but they do a great job. And sometimes when they will just force me to sing something and they'll like, hey, Siri, play, you know, Green Eyes by New Order. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh, it's about to come on. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's so <laughs> That happens a lot in our house too. So, oh, you know, no. I'll be sitting there like, it's not about the singing. It's just about doing it with my kids. It's just fun. And my kids always laugh because they're like, you're such a bad singer. Uh, just the way I hula hoop. I'm That's a really bad hilarious. hula hooper, but they always want me to hula hoop. They, it just cracks them up. Oh. 
I literally gyrate like I'm being electrified <laughs> with 10,000 volts. You can everything. It's actually really fun to be bad at stuff in front of your kids. Oh, It just yeah. entertains them no end. Yeah, that's so. That's really lovely. Yeah. Um, so what is your favourite Johnny Cash song? A Boy Named Sue. Oh, a boy named Sue. I yeah. don't know that. How does it go? Oh God, I'm definitely not going to sing that. Oh really? But, but okay. Well, what, do you want to look it up? And it's it's oh. basically about a, a man, a, a boy, whose mm. father leaves him at birth, and uh, he grows up with the name Sue. As the song says, his fists got hard and his wits got keen. So he Amazing. basically grew up just beating up people who took who made fun of him. And then one day, as an adult, on a street, in a saloon, dealing stud, he met his father. And so he decides he wants to kill him for naming him Sue. And he comes close to murdering his father, although his father's a thousand times tougher than he ever anticipated. And his father says, you know what? I know you want to kill me and you've got the right. And I wouldn't blame you if you do. Look at you with the grit in your eye. I'm the son of a bitch that named you Sue. (laughs) So he basically says, you know what? I knew I was never going to be around. All I could do was leave you with that name because it would make you strong or you'd die. Wow, that's some lyric writing. Yeah, yeah he does make uh, write some good lyrics. That's Johnny brilliant. Cash. Okay, yeah. well, everyone, we, we should all be googling that. Andy, when it comes to creativity, you are a machine. Uh, it seems like you're always creative, you're always driven, and you seem like someone who's going to get to the end of your life knowing that you've squeezed out every single last drop. And I want to know, what is it that keeps you going? What drives you? I like doing things. I don't like being idle. It's funny because I'm not on the tools. I'm not sitting there designing logos or page layouts. And I have so many talented people who work in our team who are way better designers than I ever was. So sometimes I don't even think I'm creative, but I've always got to remind myself that it's not about drawing, you know, it's about ideas, it's about direction, it's about inspiration, it's about bringing the right people together and having a vision that you can get them all on board with and collectively you can create and deliver it. So, you know, my role over decades has changed substantially and I think it probably took me a while to get used to the idea that, I could still consider myself creative without actually drawing it or being on the computer itself. Um, Absolutely. Well, so, ideas. Yeah, I know it seems so obvious, but, you know, you tend to – we all tend to be a bit tough on ourselves and, you know, there's a lot of different ways that we, we kind of have a crack at ourselves. It's mm. probably one of mine. Absolutely. Obviously you're creative, but I always say that it's kind of like 10% creativity and 90% like audacity or I like the word chutzpah. (laughs) Um, Like where does that come? Because clearly you're creative, but that drive, that audacity, that fight to just keep going when, you know, maybe people are saying no, where does that come from? I've always had a fire in my belly and even from a young age, I was just really keen to, to, to do things, to feel that the work that I was undertaking had meaning and purpose. And um, I started my first little business as a teenager, designing and printing and selling T-shirts. And in many ways, it's probably a great example of the way I look at creativity. Did I design the T-shirts? Sure. Did I physically make them? Yeah. Did I go out and sell them, distribute them, and then follow up and get paid? Yep. 
So I don't really see creativity in isolation. You know, I admire people who do their thing and they do it well and they, they just create. That's all they do. But that's just not the way I've ever lived my life. For me, it's an ecosystem. You know, I can't rely on someone else to make it. I can't rely on someone else to convince someone to buy it. I can't rely on somebody else to ensure that the, the financial tra- transaction occurs. So whilst I don't particularly want to be involved or manage every component anymore, I need to understand it and I need to ensure that from a leadership point of view, those things are occurring uh, in a very symbiotic way. Andy, how do you get your inspiration? I mean, you're such a busy guy. You're managing so much. How do you stop <laughs> and, you know, fill the tank? I'm constantly kind of creating projects um, and, you know, many of those don't get off the ground. No one knows about them because I don't share them until, you know, they're real. But, you know, I'm trying different things. Uh, I probably get involved in trying too many things. Uh, that's probably a, a mistake that I make. But, you know, it sometimes turns out well. Um, I really enjoy giving people in my team the opportunity to explore new things that, you know, maybe are a risk that might turn out to be a waste of time and money, but otherwise could actually be quite exciting and unique. A new process, a new idea, a new activation, something that actually, you know, we wouldn't otherwise ever have done in a normal course of client business. Mm. So for me, the opportunity to just undertake things that aren't client orientated, that don't aren't profit motivated, but in doing them actually really make people pay more attention to your business or what you're doing or your approach to thought leadership or innovation um, can sometimes have a positive impact on the way that you position your company. But you can't really start with that in mind. You can't start assuming everything you do will be a marketing incentive or will actually benefit you in some way because you just end up turning yourself in circles. Sometimes you just have to think a bit more altruistically. Sometimes you think about an idea that you're not really sure where it's going to go, but you just want to kind of burrow down that rabbit hole and just investigate it. Mm. And when it does come to fruition or it turns into part of an idea that you can use elsewhere, that's quite exciting. You kind of feel like you really are doing something interesting and you're not just replicating and just rolling out the same old, same old. Mm. So I think, you know, living in the notion of a sea of sameness uh, is kind of depressing thought. Absolutely. Um, Because it doesn't matter what you're involved in, everything could be better and should be better and we should be aspiring for better. It sounds to me like you're not afraid of failure. Well, I've had a lot of failures, (sighs) so I've gotten used to it. (laughs) So I've gotten used to the idea of not being afraid of it because, I mean, I would probably have at least one reasonable size failure every single year. Uh, And it doesn't cease to be depressing or debilitating Mm. or, you know, you, you don't stop questioning yourself why did I make that decision why did I invest that money in that endeavor which I was convinced was going to be a winner and it's ended up turning out to be a dog Um, you know sometimes you're so busy trying to create revenue in one space you know from a business point of view and then you realize that you ended up going and wasting it in a whole other space Mm. Um, it's easy to say in hindsight at the time you kind of you might have had a really strong business plan great motives but Maybe you didn't get the right people around you. Maybe yeah. your idea wasn't that good yeah. after all. Um, you know, there's usually a range of reasons. There's never one reason. You know, mm. the climate could be wrong. Yeah. I know that, you Timing. know, things that I did in the 90s, um, which I thought were progressive and interesting, 
probably didn't really result in anything. And then I kind of felt 10 or 15 years later, it was all the rage, you know, and some very close friends of mine kind of joke about this, oh, you're ahead of your time, but, you know, it's nothing but a bit of a chuckle because Mm. there's no benefit to it. What's an example of a failure where you were ahead of the time? (laughs) Um, I, I started a few different business ventures in the 90s. One was doing handmade paper post-consumer waste. So that means that recycled paper is often just made from other normal paper, white paper. You know, it's not, it's just existing white paper off cuts. It just gets recycled and made into new paper. Post-consumer waste is getting your old tissue boxes, your old yellow pages or white pages or stuff that's been heavily printed and used as a consumer um, package and then actually pulping it and actually turning it into paper from, from scratch. Now, it's not attractive. Well, I thought it was beautiful. It's very textured. It can be either very brown or colourful. Mm. Um, it's it almost is impossible to make it white um, without bleaching it, which we would never do. So we did a, a lot of these uh, sort of projects and we made products out of them. We sold them to companies. Like so I made my own range of stationary products like, you know, diaries, notebooks, photo albums, all sorts of different things. Uh, greeting cards. Wow. It was quite a big range. Um, like that particular business employed about 10 people. Um, and I was in my 20s and didn't have a clue. And we also sold the paper as completed finished sheets to companies to make their packaging products out of. And we had one really big success. I pitched an idea to um, Holeproof, who was a client of mine. We were doing their catalogs and some packaging. And I approached the CEO and said, um, uh, do you have people appro- uh, give you you know, come to you with ideas very often for socks and jocks. And he said, all the time. And I said, okay, well, how many have ever gone ahead? He said, none, ever, in my career. I said, can I have a foot forward an idea? It's like, yeah, knock yourself out. So we came to him with an idea which was called Naturals, and it was socks and underwear made from natural fibres. And it was all kind of like, you know, it was definitely not white, I can assure you. But we manufactured the, um, the paper that all the packaging came in, and it was um, embedded with seeds. So you could literally get your packaging and plant it and it would grow into a plant. Oh, my God. I've since seen in the last two decades other people do this, but at the time we'd never wow. seen anyone in the world do it. Wow. And it was big. It was in the annual report for their company that year. It got tons of media and heaps of press. And it was great for our client and it was, you know, great for us to be involved in it. But, you know, I think back and so many ideas that people like me have at that age, we just don't know how to monetize them. We don't know how to leverage them. So many ideas that I see in tech get transported over to the US, but we don't just need to do that in tech. There are lots of things that I've seen over the recent decades that could have been transported around the world as a good idea. So timing is huge. Yeah, timing and and knowledge. And, you know, I think uh, if I had my time all over again, there's probably one thing, one thing that I can think I would change and I would strongly recommend to anyone listening to give this some serious consideration, and that's to find a mentor. Um. I've never had a mentor. I've known lots of really smart people who I've been inspired by, um, mostly my friends, actually. I've probably been, while they're not my mentors, they're people who I look up to. Um, But I would suggest go and find someone who you think is really smart. It's irrelevant what they do. In fact, it's probably good they don't do what it is that you want to do. If you want to be a filmmaker, don't find a filmmaker. If you want to be a graphic designer, don't find a graphic designer. Mm. Find an accountant. It doesn't matter. Find a lawyer. Find someone who is going to give you a challenge, going mm. to listen to what you have to say uh, meaningfully, but also push back. 
because that's what you need. You need pushback. You need to think harder. That's the way you actually leverage your ideas is having someone challenge you and force you to rethink their true purpose and meaning and how you can bring them to life for the right audience or the right reason. Mm. Or maybe they're more commercial and they can give you advice on how to monetize it, how to commercialize it. You know, mm. These things are not negative, they're positive. We should be creating people in our industry to be more financially successful, to be more business savvy, to mm. understand opportunity and to know how to bring it to life. That's the great failing of our industry. We mm. create you know, intelligent, creative people, but so many of them haven't really had the ability or the direction to know how to leverage that to create a better future for themselves and their families and actually turn it into profit. Maybe Hoyne needs to start a school. <laughs> I'd really like to ask you about leadership and creativity. From what I've seen, I think you're a really amazing creative leader. Um, I've been in the office a few times. There's a buzz. There's an energy about it. And so, you know, there was a time where you were a practitioner and then you swapped, kind of, you, you grow into becoming a leader. And um, did that come naturally for you? I'm not sure. I think it'd be interesting to speak to people who used to work with me 10 or 20 years ago to ask their perspective because I think they'd have a, a more realistic uh, view it's always an evolution. You know, you're trying to do things that are good for the team, that are good mm. for the business, but are also good for yourself. You know, there's a bit of selfishness sometimes when you first start because you've got your own agenda. I think, you know, over the years my agenda has broadened and it tends to be much less about me um, and it's very much about what's good for the business. And my name is on the letterhead, but I don't see myself as the business. I just happen to be a leader in the business and I'm not the only leader you know, we've got quite a few incredible leaders. Um, I'm always learning for people in my in my team. Um, I love bringing on new people who bring new skills. Um, and I love seeing the people who have been with me for decades who continue to flourish and reinvent themselves and, you know, go on to do further learning. Mm. Um, so, you know, self-training and structured training are really important for all of us because no one wants to feel like they stagnate. You know, Absolutely. Everyone wants to feel like there's kind of shared growth. Now, creative leaders need to lead by example. So what are some attributes that you want to role model to your team that you have? Um, honesty, but I wouldn't go so far as to say blatant honesty because some blatant honesty can feel a bit hurtful. So you've got to kind of couch it. You've got to contextualise it. You've got to understand where other people were coming from. You might see a solution that you don't think is very good or it's completely missed the mark. And instead of just bowling in with why it's wrong, I try and have a tendency to say, look, I, I get why you went that way. I get what you were thinking. You know, there, there was a reason, you know, and I'm trying to get on board with you. Now let me explain why that's not going to work and I'm going to break it down as much as possible with regard to maybe it was the brief or the audiences or the competitive set or what I think is a real opportunity. Um, so I try and be as clear as I possibly can. And I'm really, I try my absolute hardest to be respectful to everybody. Um, so, you know, sometimes you might sound a bit blunt, but it, Certainly not the intention. Mm. Yeah, I tend to get pretty good feedback from people in the team. I think the biggest problem that I have is not being around often enough. So sometimes I'll review a project and it's way down the track and I'll be like, whoa, this is this has gone down the wrong path. 
we've got to do a lot of backtracking. That's annoying because, you know, people have kind of invested in something. And so I need, wherever possible, to kind of put in my two cents as early as possible. And sometimes things have gone so far and I might necessarily agree with them, but I've got to let them run their course or I've got to let something be presented that I might not have faith in. But I've kind of missed my opportunity to review or change path because I've gotten involved too late. And then mm. that in itself is kind of disrespectful to the team. In those instances, you know, I might say, look, if we've got the time, can we actually try something else as well? Can we actually propose an alternative? And I say this and you won't believe me and others won't believe me, but I love being wrong. I love being wrong because it means that I hire the right people. Mm. Because when I say, look, I think this is the direction to go in and we present something that's the exact opposite and the client loves it or it works really well on the market, I'm like, great, I was wrong. Because I don't want to have a team around me who just execute what I believe. I want a team around me who adds value, who has better, different, unique ideas. That's the value of a company. Mm. You know, I'm just trying to steer the ship. You know, my job is less about the detail and more about the big picture. Mm-hmm. You know, why do we exist as a, as a business? You know, why do, how do we differentiate ourselves? Why will people engage with us? You mm. know, and what ability do we have to evolve in the next phase of our company's life? And how do you keep your team inspired and engaged um, and energised? We have this thing called the More Award. It used to be called Spot Month, Staff Person of the Month Award. And now it's called the More Award. And we've got an app on our phone um, and every single person's on there. And we've got four different pillars for the individual strengths of the people who work in the company. And so people get to um, vote uh, on the More Award and, and basically talk about why someone has been great that month Mm -hmm. to help them or they've just seen them do a good job. Um, You can award them points, anything from 5, 10, 25, 50 points, and everyone gets 100 points per person. um, Andy, what are the attributes? I was just going to open up the app and show it to you, even though no one can see what I'm showing. That's all right. We can read it out. What's been great about that is that people get to – talk about what others have done that they might not sit next to or might not be best friends with. And so at the end of the month, well, if I voted for you, you would get that immediately on your phone. It would come up and say, someone's just given you more award points. You won't know how many points they are and you won't know who awarded you the points. But what you will know is what they said about you mm. and why they thought you really added value and why they value your contribution was appreciated. Yeah. And so some people can get 20 or 30 of these a month. Wow. Now, some people might get a lot less. It depends. So, and at the end of the month, they basically tally up and the person who has got the most points in each of their offices wins an iPad. But wow. a few people have got a lot of iPads, so now it's become, you know, the coolest Steinhauser headphones or, you know, so it's always been a $1,000 gift voucher at Apple, but now people are saying, can I have a flight or can I have something yeah. else? So we've had, mm. we have accommodated people to use the money in other ways, but um, we've kind of just recently revised the system and now, you know, people can actually opt for, you know, time off uh, as their award. So the great thing about that is that, yeah, I've got 100 points, but there are 70 people in the company who have 100 points, so I don't influence the outcome. You mm. know, it's very much what the team believes. And so it's peer re- reviewing, they're re- reviewing each other. Yeah, yeah, they're supporting each other. Mm. They're acknowledging each other. And I love it because at the end of the month I get to hear these all read out at our kind of end of the month drinks and I think it's very, very rare in probably the seven years we've been doing this that I haven't agreed with the outcome. Mm-hmm. It's probably I can think of like one or two times out of, you know, a hundred times that I've thought, eh, that's not who I would have thought was the winner this month. 
But the vast majority of times I'm like, man, the team nailed it. That person totally deserves to be the winner. We award a second and a third prize as well. Yeah. So just a like, gift voucher to Westfield or whatever. It's, um, it's such a clever way to get people to walk and talk the actual values and attributes rather than, you know, some ridiculous laminated piece of cardboard that says Hoyn is about, right? Like that's, that's, it's a really clever way of bringing it to life and and – getting the behaviour that you want. Yeah. In any business, it's hard to get people to act as a team. You know, they will for a while, but people go off on their own path. So you've got to constantly just find ways to bring people back together and to remind them that there are other talented people, smart people sitting near them. Mm. So you've got to kind of help create the glue to bond them. And the last time I was over at your office, um, there was something interesting that was happening I think at 3 p.m. <laughs> tell, tell us about that. Uh, at 3 p.m. every day uh, the music goes on and everyone jumps up and lines up um, in the office and we do a bit of exercise. Like stretch um, sesh. Yeah, but like it depends on who's running it. Like I've had one of the girls used to make everyone do line dancing. Someone else would make you do push-ups and sit-ups. But others it's just, you know, an arm stretch, mm-hmm. a leg stretch, mm-hmm. a, you know, bend over and, you know, put the leg out. Um, so it's different. Uh, it's really funny. It makes everyone laugh. It just gives us a break from our desks. It doesn't go for that long. And I love it because, uh, you know, you end up standing next to somebody who you might not have spoken much to that particular day and you're kind of, you know, stretching out your leg. And, mm. and yeah, there are people who are fitter than others, but no one cares. In fact, I think the people who are the fittest get given the most shit. You know, if you're someone who can literally, you know, touch your toe to your nose, uh, people are going to pick on you, but Mm. in a really fun way. It's like if you do, if you're a singer and you do karaoke, like you're not supposed to be good, (laughs) right? And and there's a bit of a, there's a detail you missed there. What's the song? Oh, God. Isn't it Let's Get Physical? Oh, God. You'd think I'd remember it. I've heard it a thousand times. Yeah, Let's Get Physical. And literally every 3 p.m. every single day. Yeah. Let's yep. get physical. Yeah, I, I think I've wiped the, that song from my mind, even though I hear it almost every day. Because I'm just like, oh, I can't stand that song. <laughs> but it makes me laugh and smile because I love the interaction that it creates. Um, and it's funny when there are other people like you who pass through. They're like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. And sometimes there'll be a client meeting, and we'll actually make the clients get out of the boardroom and go in and actually do Stop it with the rest it. of the team. It's like so. join the the Hoyne cult. Yeah, it is yeah. a bit. I think that probably looks that way. Beautiful. Yeah, you know, it's probably in, and given that you know in our offices we have lots of fridges with um with booze. They're like, oh, where is this going? <laughs> well, I be here drunk till midnight. I love it. I love it. Another thing that you told me about that I was so inspired by was this really small action. Um, that you gave up your corner office or your oh, you yeah. gave up your fancy office. Tell me about that. So um, about three and a half years ago, our Sydney office moved into the CBD and I wanted to do an amazing fit out because our Melbourne office has got an amazing fit out and we share an office in Brisbane. So I decided to go to town and just design. It's about 620 square metre. We've got a whole floor of a building and I wanted to have – certain experiences through the space you know i wanted it to feel the, the foyer to feel like you're in a hotel the boardroom to feel like you're in a war room you know the kitchen to feel like you're in uh you know somewhere that things get made and the studio to feel almost a bit industrial to some degree but that doesn't it's pretty slick and so we've got a few offices kind of breakout rooms libraries and stuff and i thought i'm gonna have my own office you know i've been in business a long time i've always just sat in the mix and been a part of it all but man, I'm going to get fancy and have an office. This is going to be so cool. 
So I did. I've got like this beautiful big desk and beautiful, you know, expensive chairs and artwork on the walls. And I've, my wife even bought me the kind of Mad Men drinks cabinets full of whiskeys <laughs> and gins and whatever. And, uh, you know, some nice books and it's quite sparse and very sizable. And I was in there for a year and I loved being in there. But after a year, I kind of felt, you know what, I'm not really a part of it. And I, I think that the approach is not the way I see myself or the way I see business and I wanted to be immersed in it and whilst I love having my own office and people would come in and chat with me I kind of felt like I was distancing myself and that people might have been making decisions that maybe I could have chipped into and assisted and I think that's my job is to constantly walk around and just throw in my two cents everywhere I go now people can take it or leave it People don't have to take on board what I say is gospel. But at least, you know, if you're a bit older, you've had some more experience, then your job is to share that. Your job isn't to hide away. And so, yeah, I don't have the office anymore. Everybody uses it. It's kind of a shared space. They have meetings in it. It still looks like this cool office, um, but I just sit in the middle of the room next to the rest of the team and get on with it. I love that. I think that's a really great leadership quality. Is there a project you're working on right now that you're really inspired by that you'd like to t- tell us about? Um, we're working on a lot of city shaping projects. So some of them are with government and therefore you can't really talk about them. Uh, there's a few really big ones in Australia and New Zealand at the moment. I'm really excited about uncovering you know, a personality of a place and finding a way to bring it to life in a really distinctive manner. You know, It's not just it's cool or it's hip or it's interesting because not everywhere is supposed to be cool and hip. You know, who are the audience? You know, we're working with on projects in some cases that are, you know, retirement, living or aged care. And it might seem like those could be really boring, but in fact, they're quite the opposite. You know, we're changing the experiences that people have. Um, you know, we're working on some projects where, you know, we decided to design a boardwalk through the forest. So people in retirement or aged care on a, in a wheelchair or with the assistance of somebody else could actually go for this incredible walk through nature. And that signage all the way through it, giving you sort of a history of the site, a history of things that had occurred there, uh, Indigenous background, uh, stories of the flora and fauna. If you hear a bird that sounds like this, then this is probably that bird. For me, you know, it's just one very tiny example of taking people out of the space that they're in that might be Groundhog Day and actually changing that experience to make it just more joyful. And so, you know, we're doing a lot of things in the categories of retirement, living and aged care and dementia care. But at the other end of the spectrum, you know, we're working with uh, towns and, you know, convincing them to put awesome cool skate parks in and, uh, and activity zones and entertainment zones. And, you know, yeah, we're naming them, branding them and doing all the collateral. You know, it's obviously a, a historical component of our business as a what was a traditional branding agency. But now working in place and property, we actually get to work all the way through to having a vision for what something can be. We can, we can brief an architect or a landscape architect on how to design it um, that fits within our criteria that's actually going to bring our principles and pillars to life. And then we can bring that to life in a different context of naming it, branding it, and communicating all the benefits and why people should think about this as a destinational experience. Mm. So for us, it's about creating magnets and Mm. our ideas are magnets. The physical form is a magnet. It's about helping people see value in a place that previously they paid no attention to. So it's not really about one idea. It's just about a philosophy that I like to think we have the ability to apply, you know, everywhere we go. 
Andy, I've got a few final questions for you. If someone's in a creative rut, um, it's just they're not in flow. What would you? What advice would you give them? Go for a walk. <laughs> it's really simple. It's it's really hard to get out of um, out of a mindset that you've kind of spiraled into and you're kind of finding it hard to crawl out of. Um, you know, listen to music. Um, go for a walk. Chat with a friend. Probably the best thing you can do is stop thinking about it because overthinking about it more and more and more just probably sends you into a deeper spiral of depression because you can't resolve it. Um, I think you've got to literally just cut it off and go and do something completely different. Do something the opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's if you're not at work, yeah, go for a bike ride. You know, just go to the pub, catch up with a friend. If you're at work, go and sit somewhere different. Change where you're sitting. Talk to someone different. Go and talk to whoever you report to and just say, look, I'm just kind of struggling here. You know, I think I might just go for a walk or I might just get a coffee or whatever. I just want, I just need a break. I just need to, or hey, when's the deadline for that job? Is it possible to work on something different? Can we park this for a day? Can I come back to it tomorrow? Because I'm just going around and running circles. And people don't like to admit when that happens, but they should because it's good for the business to know that hours and resources aren't being wasted on something that's not going to actually get to Mm -hmm. a conclusion. But also, you know, you've always got to be thinking about people's mental well-being. You know, nobody wants to be stuck in a situation where they're feeling depressed or unhappy. Um, And when that occurs, as an employer, it's your responsibility to kind of figure out a way to help them, short-term and long-term. Because, you know, we've got to think about this very much with a team mindset. And with that in mind, you know, yeah, there are commercial imperatives to actually sustain a business that you've got to keep in mind but at the end of the day you've got to focus on people because you know it's all about people so how do you get your best ideas this is something i'm really interested in some people will get their best ideas and be at their creative best when they're in meditation when they're going on a long drive or in the shower that very zen kind of almost the brain goes into like that gamma state. Other people get their best creative work and ideas under extreme pressure, deadlines. So there's no one thing. But I'm curious as to you, Andy. I, I like pressure. You know, I have no qualms about being put on the spot about stuff. Um, I'm happy just to respond with my gut feeling. You know, as I said earlier on, maybe I, I'll respond a bit too emotionally on occasion. But For me, it's always a meaningful response. Um, And, you know, while some responses can potentially seem off the cuff, they never are because they come from a place of decades of experience, you know, discussion, thoughtfulness. Uh, So, you know, an idea is really just kind of the the diamond that pops out at the end. Um, Hopefully it's a diamond. Hopefully it's not something else. Beautiful. Okay, and three very last quick questions. Why is creativity important in individuals? It helps you get to know yourself better. It helps you think about things from completely different perspectives and in doing that, find a way to kind of have empathy to look at the world upside down and actually to see potential in a way that you otherwise wouldn't have seen. Nice. And secondly, why is creativity important in workplaces? It makes work more exciting. It actually makes work more collaborative. Um, when you are working creatively, you're not working in a silo. True creativity occurs when you're actually bringing people in, when you're having robust discussions, when you're actually being forced to think about something you'd never considered. 
working in a silo, I think, is a little bit depressing. So, you know, the more brainstorming we all do, the more collective thinking we do, it's always going to deliver a far better outcome than anything any one of us could come up with in isolation. Mm, Beautiful. And then um, the last question is, why is creativity important in the world? Because it can change, fix, uh, you know, and make a, a better world. It's big cliche and kind of, you know, generic comment, but... The reality is that so many of the most amazing things that have happened in this world have happened due to a creative mindset, you know, new thinking, you know, evolutionary ideas. Um, If we don't actually think about the potential, all we'll keep doing is the same old, same old. Like I said before, no one wants to live in Groundhog Day. Uh, We all want to develop. Um, We all want to sort of better ourselves. And creativity is the vehicle to help us do that. Beautiful. Um, lastly, Andy, how can people find you or read about you or your work? Uh, look, uh, online, um, you'll find our website, hoin.com.au. People who email me, I have a good tendency to get back to, maybe not that day or the next day, depending on the urgency, but I'll always respond to everybody. Um, so yeah, my email is andrew at hoin.com.au. Yeah, I'm always interested in talking to interesting people about interesting things. I've mentored a lot of people over the years. It tends to take up too much of my time if you ask my my team or my wife. But, you know, I, I enjoy providing guidance to really smart people. So I like meeting clever people who I can, you know, lend a hand to. I struggle with time on occasion. You know, it's uh, hard to find enough hours in a day. But, you know, it's interesting. I've seen people that I've met in recent decades as young graduates who are now running really successful businesses, uh, probably far more well-known than I am. Um, But it was kind of nice to think that, you know, you could play a role in helping them get on their feet. Well, I'm sure people are going to get in contact. Um, you'll be regretting that. I know. It's, um, it's, I'm not, I'm not uh, trying to get people to email me for any old question. But, uh, you know, if someone's yeah. got something meaningful to yeah. share or ask, I'm always happy to engage. That's really lovely. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for your wisdom and your time and this beautiful conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Anytime. Thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in. To make sure that you never miss an episode, head over to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe. And while you're there, please leave me a quick rating and review. I hope that you have found this episode inspiring and taken something out of it to help you get creative. If you do, let me know. Until next time.